Hi everyone, welcome to the Same Kit Different Day podcast. I'm your host, Doug Melia, and today I've got with me CEO of Wagtail UK, Colin Singer. Colin, how are you? Morning, Doug. How are you? I'm yeah, fine, great. You. Great, thanks, mate. So, for our listeners, we met some years ago at the Farnborough Air Show initially, wasn't it? Yeah, that was right. Uh, we we were we were down there as part of the security team, weren't we? Uh, and I had the uh, explosive detection dogs. So, and that, yeah, that was was, was that it. early yeah. days for your business? That was the early days of uh, of the business. We've been going seventeen years now, and I think the first year of uh, that air show. It was about 13 years ago. Yes, it was the early days. It was quite well. How many dogs did you have around you then? Probably about four. <laughs> and yeah. to get a rough estimation now? 140. <laughs> That's some amazing growth, mate. And you're, you, you're doing quite a bit of work on the borders, aren't you? Yeah, so we're contracted by Border Force to provide detection dogs at the juxtaposed controls in northern France. Yes. So we work at uh, Calais, Dunkirk, and Coquel, which is the, the Channel Tunnel. And we've been there for um, uh, since 2008. Okay, so, cool. um, yeah, quite what, a long time. What, what kind of things are, give me an example of some of the things that the dogs are trying to detect. Well, uh, the dogs uh, for Border Force, we're trying to detect people in vehicles and they're attempting to enter the UK illegally. So our dogs um, effectively screen vehicles and work alongside um, border force officers over in France. Okay, cool. and that's oh, so it's on both sides you're working, is it? No, just the just the French side. Oh, great, excellent. And then yeah, the the so the dogs. And I mean, I've got limited knowledge of this. Um, aside from detecting people. In theory, you can train dogs to detect for pretty much anything. Is that right? Yeah, in theory, if it's got a scent and it's practical to do so, you can train a dog uh, to detect that scent. So we've got dogs that find firearms, explosives, drugs, cash, tobacco, live bodies, dead bodies. We've even got dogs that can find great crested newts, yeah. that carcass, yeah, that carcass ivory, pangolin scale, live animals, you know, to do with uh, the smuggling of live animals, which is quite topical in the Far East at the moment. Um, so a whole range of uh, different scents, uh, and, and obviously depending on the, the requirement of the client, the, it, the dogs will specialise in one, one particular area. Why would you do a, a bat, why would you do a bat survey? So, uh, wind farms, land-based wind farms in the UK, yeah. the, bat, uh, the, the, uh, the companies are obliged to carry out a survey to ascertain bat fatalities at their wind farms. So, um, the, the, the dog, so you can imagine um, a wind turbine on yeah. a hillside or wherever it may be, uh, an area the size of a football pitch, uh, surrounding that that wind farm, um, that turbine, uh, long long vegetation and undergrowth. Uh, you and me, Doug, uh, looking for bats, uh, bat carcass um, in that area. It would probably take all day, and it wouldn't be particularly accurate. No. The, the the dog team can go in, 
and locate the bat carcasses and then the ecologists then come in and um, the handler will flag where the bat was found and the ecologists will come in as part of, of the survey. So the dogs are about 85% accurate in that, in that environment and um, you know, it, time is money, it speeds up the surveys. It's not going to stop wind, wind farms uh, being built or operating, but they, they just need to know um, how many are dying and, and it may be that they could put a wind farm on a uh, not on a migration route in the future. There have been uh, some wind farms where they've turned them off at certain times of the day because yeah. of the bat fatalities. Oh, right. And, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, there's, there's one in Leicestershire. You know, there's no lights on in Leicester, but, you know, at least the bats are, are on. <laughs> we had the same with well, the, the, with the, the uh, We had the same. Yeah, with... I, I, what happened? Go on, mate. Go on, sorry. Oh, we had the same with the great crested newt. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, when we, yeah. we were doing evicting sites, they put this sort of black fence all the way round. And I remember yeah. someone telling me how much the fence cost. And I was like, wow, that's big business, that, for stopping newts crossing the, crossing the road. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, with a lot of these things, um, with the newts, we were working with HS2. We yeah. worked with Anglia Water, Manchester Smart Waterways, and we continue to work with HS2. Um, because... Uh, the the newts are protected by UK and European law, yeah. and if you kill a newt, you can get fined up to five thousand pounds. Right. And um, so we spent eighteen months trialing and proving that the dogs could detect the newts. And we have Rocky, uh, a a cocker spaniel, who's the first, the world's first scientifically proven great crested newt detection dog. Oh, that's um, an accolade. That's great. <laughs> yeah, we've featured on the one show. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 you know, and again, uh, when the construction companies have to halt the work because they discover newts, um, people have to, uh, the ecologists have to go in and, and, and um, set it up so that the newts can be uh, relocated safely. But with the dog team, they can go in, find the newts more, uh, more quickly and, and time is money and they can get on with the construction, uh, you know, more quickly. The, the dogs operate in a way that... Um, because obviously we're looking for a live newt as opposed to a bat carcass. So right. the dogs give a sit indication, just a passive indication when they um, when they find the newt. Um, and again, the ecologists will accompany the handler, collect the newt and take it to a, a safe place, a nearby pond or an environment that's been designated safe okay. for the newt. And the other challenging thing about the trial was um, we the dog has to ignore smooth newts. Smooth newts are not protected, yeah. so we just have to ignore them and, and frogs and, and, and things like that. Uh, so during the test, the, the dog literally should not indicate on the smooth newts, but does indicate on the great crested. Wow! And uh, so the, the training for that 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 is yeah. that more complicated than the normal training you do? Not really. It's just an association. So yeah. we we'll place a, a newt out. We use real newts, obviously, um, just like you know we would use real explosives or drugs. Uh, we've actually got a license to keep great crested newts. It took right. us two years to get that license, um, and we've got three of them: Nora, Nelly, and Billy. Yeah. And you know we place a real newt out uh, in a controlled environment, and um, we then may put other distractors out. So um, a, a smooth news. And, and effectively what happens during the training process, when the dog indicates on the great crested, he'll be rewarded with his ball. Yeah. If he indicates on a smooth, 
he won't be rewarded as well. So he, he soon gets the hang of it. Um, the you know the great crest is the one where he'll get his ball, and there must be a difference in scent, yeah. you know, for for him to to distinguish between them. That's brilliant. That's it's so much more intricate than uh, than you'd think. So just back onto the the border agency then. Um, but what what kind of finds have you had? You've obviously found people, and what sort of numbers of people? Yeah, I I can't actually say that, Doug. I'm afraid. Okay. Um, yeah, we we found lots of people, you know, yeah. um, and but um, we we can't um, we we can't disclose that because um, it, it, the Home Office don't allow us of to course. do it. Sometimes they will say, and then we can republicise it. So unfortunately, I can't. No, I understand. You know, I understand. I, I, can't, it's confidential, I can't say on that one, but yeah, it's a good question and often asked. And I'd love to say, I'd love to tell you. Lots is fine. Lots is the answer we wanted. So <laughs> the um, the training centre I came to visit you at in North Wales, I was blown away by that. You had mock up shops. You had um, be- mock up bedrooms where you trained the dogs. Tell us a little bit about that, would you? Yeah. So we have to train. We have to try and uh, train for reality. So at our headquarters, we've got some training areas, as you say, such as shops, um, different scenarios uh, where the dogs, you know, when we first take a a dog, it may be um, an unwanted pet or from a rescue centre, and they're not used to jumping on furniture. Um, You know, they may get told off at home for jumping on the furniture, but we have to encourage them to do that. So we've got rooms set up where, you know, the the, like nursery areas where the dogs can uh, have fun, express themselves, uh, find the scent and, and they get rewarded the ball. We're bringing out all that energy and drive that they have in, in, into a game and, and, you know, the dogs love what they do, otherwise they wouldn't do it. And, and we move away from our headquarters then in, into real shops, real training scenarios, you know, vehicles, Play the, where they will work, they've got to be competent on baggage belts for airports. Of course, yeah. So, um, and a lot of the tobacco work we do is in self store establishments. So, we've got training areas in self store uh, establishments because I don't know if you've ever been in one of those, Doug, but there can be thousands of doors in one of those places, um, you, you know, and, and a lot of them sometimes, you know, they're converted warehouses. Yes. I did one in Coventry where there was 2,000 units on five floors so when we go in there looking for illegal tobacco with uh, trading standards or, or hmrc yeah um you can imagine again two thousand units where do we start so uh, the dog can run up and down if he indicates on a the door then the officers can take the you know the appropriate action and have a look so uh, to answer your question it's training for realism that the, the Training areas you saw at Mosfin are a good introduction, yeah. and uh, get the dogs, you know, expressing themselves. And then everything we do, we try and uh, train for reality. So quite early on in our evaluation process, we'll we'll get the dogs into busy places such as shopping centres, markets, you know, crowded places where they can get used to all the different noises and and the smells to to ensure that once they are trained, they can cope with. The different you know different environmental situations the distractions yeah so something you just said there interests me um i always thought that dogs were, were bred which i understand they are but you get some from rescues do you yeah so um we have done a puppy 
we've had our own puppy development program, which was successful. Yeah. Uh, but in the main, that that is a, a time-consuming, quite lengthy process. Yes. So we do pretty much the same as the police, the armed forces, customs, immigration, you know, border force. Yes. Um, we're looking for dogs that are around about 10 to 12 months old, usually the gun dog breeds such as uh, Labradors, yeah. Springer Spaniels, Cocker Spaniels, around about that age and up to about two years. And we're looking for the high drive dog that loves to retrieve, got bags of energy, is confident, good with people, good with other dogs. And, and, and you know, we've got a lot of good contact with um with with rescue centres uh, such as Blue Cross, they know what they're looking we're looking yes, for. Yes. So if they see one that may have the the qualities, they, they'll they'll give us a call. So and then unwanted pets, we may get um, somebody ring up say, oh, I've got this crazy Springer Spaniel, uh, can't settle in the house, changing family circumstances. Yeah. You, you know, w- would you like to consider it as um as a detection dog? So the, the thing is, um, one of the challenges we have is there's not enough quality dogs right. out there. Uh, you know, we're, we're obviously we're after exactly the same dog as the police and the armed forces and other private companies. So um, that's that's quite a challenge. But once you get the right dog, you you, you know uh, you you're away. Then it, it, it's uh, quite straightforward in, in in training them. And and one of the most rewarding parts of of my job is to take a dog that you know is a, is a real nice uh real real nice dog would, yeah. would make a great pet but families can't you know a family may not be able to to look after it and 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 to take that dog into you know a crime fighting sniffer dog or a dog that can find newts you know is really good it's giving them another chance so it's just apart from newts i've heard of dogs that are able to sense um sickness in people and uh, certain conditions. What's your What's your experience of that? Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Well, um, with that, and it's obviously come up a few times over the last few weeks with, yeah. with COVID nineteen. Um, mm-hmm. There's an organisation called Medical Detection Dogs, right. run by uh, a lady called Claire Guest, and for a number of years they've done some great work with dogs detecting. Uh, Different diseases such as you know diabetes and cancer. Yeah. And I, I I've seen reports that they've got six dogs in training that they're hoping will be able to de- detect the presence of COVID nineteen. And and obviously we wish them all the best with that. We haven't got involved with that. I think a lot of the work they do they've done so far with the other diseases it's it's laboratory based. Yes. So it's it's very clinical environment and. And that's not a problem, but they will acquire the samples, so the positive samples, if you like, if uh, someone's got a disease. And, and again, it's the association thing. They'll place that out when the dog indicates on it, it gets a reward as opposed to a negative sample. Uh, I think the challenge, I think that the hope is that uh, the COVID dogs may w- be able to work at airports uh, for, for passengers coming into the country. Right. So the challenge will be, Taking a dog, you know, that can can do it in a laboratory to an operational environment where you've got people streaming, streaming through, yeah, and um, people, yeah. you know, the, yeah, and and let's hope, you know, that they manage to do it. I, 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 they, I like I say, initially six dogs. I, I, maybe if if that was successful, they would want to expand that, and if we were asked, we could get involved. But 
they're doing a great job. So let's hope that they can uh, achieve success with that. Yeah, I mean, you talked about samples then. So obviously, to train a dog, you said you've got the newts. Is it is it yeah. abnormal for you to get a dead bat in the mail? I get what, sorry? A dead bat in the mail. Would that be abnormal for you if you're training? Because obviously, see, if you're training them to search for bat carcasses, you're going to need one. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, so, so sorry. Uh, yeah, the bat carcasses, we acquire from the ecologists and we keep okay. them in um, in a store, a refrigerated store. You know, they are they are dead bats, obviously. So, and, and really the only specific role where we're employed doing that is... Um, on turbine sites, yes, and you know that that keeps us really busy uh, across. It, it's seasonal with this type of work. It's mainly uh, from about March till October uh, with that and the newts. And the newts go into hibernation uh, during the winter, so so uh, we're only required mainly, you know, during during that period. And going back to the samples with the diseases. Yeah, I think obviously medical detection dogs, they can work with hospitals and government agencies to acquire these the samples, the COVID samples. So obviously that's quite a, a challenge. So we're not involved at the moment, but maybe we will be in the future. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's a massive, you must, since you first got involved with this, there must have been such a learning process as the diversity and the need for detection dogs evolved. Yeah, I, I, you know what, I was in the RAF for 23 years, and, and when I came out in 2003, uh, but yeah, I can train dogs, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to, to set up a business doing that. But then, as you know, uh, as you run your own business, it's all the other things, you know, so um, accounting, marketing, yeah. strategy, business plans, that, you know, I'd never done any of that before. So, um, so, that, so that was a steep learning curve. And it still is, I suppose, still learning about business, still learning learning about dogs. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I set it up. I was, you know, uh, like I said, I left the RAF. They gave me the skills to train um, detection dogs. Yeah. For a number of years, I was an operational handler on the mainland UK, explosives handler, uh, which was the best job ever. You know, really, I didn't wear uniform. I had an unmarked van. I was was, was covered in public military events. That could be a mass bands at the Arbitral. It could be a freedom parade in one of the cities, you know. So yes. I, I made a lot of contacts with police forces during that time. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, that stood me in good stead. But for the first five years, I struggled, uh, to be honest, you know, struggled to break, even break even, remortgaged my house and took out loans. But uh, it's probably around about 2008, um, two things happened. The newly formed UK border agency at the time needed dogs for France, so we yes. bid for that and, and got that. And then we were on the Olympic Park at Stratford. Yes. Uh, four years before the Games, we, we had explosion drug detection dogs on that site, you know, for, for London 2012, and then we did some work during the Games as well. So, yeah, it, um, it was a steep learning curve. Um, we've now got over 80 staff, yeah. 140 dogs. So, you know, 140 dogs, so um, which brings challenges in itself. Which great, I absolutely love it though, as, as much as it's the first day uh, that I started. It's just got some fantastic staff across the company, and, and as you know, that that helps uh, greatly. It's, you know, you couldn't do it without them. 
No, it's, and I we always use. I mean, when I have close protection requirements, we always give you a shout to come down and do the, do the meeting halls and things. And it's I, I and part of it for me is I like speaking to the guys and learning about where you've been. So, what other countries are you working in aside from the UK in France? Yeah, so we've provided dogs to Africa, uh, Gabon, and um, Tanzania. Um, uh, and and um, those dogs were trained to detect ivory, wow. pangolin, yeah, yeah, uh, bushmeat, uh, shark fin. So a lot of the products of animal origin were shipped out of Africa to the Far East. Yes, uh, you know, so so ivory, pound for pound, I believe it's more expensive than gold. And depending on which report you read up to 90 elephants a day are killed for their ivory. So it's huge business. It's, wow. it's, uh, and, 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 and like a lot of these uh, smuggling organizations, whether it be people, whether it be drugs, whether it be products of animal origin, it's funding organized yes. crime, criminal gangs, you know, and potentially terrorists. So there's, uh, yeah, so where we, we've, but um, in Africa, We've also also sent dogs to Hong Kong to detect live animals. Right. It's quite topical again with the live animals. Uh, yeah. Uh, the markets. The pangolin is like an anteater. I've seen animal. it's like an anteater with scales, isn't it? That's it, yeah. And it's the scales that are sought after for medicinal purposes. It's the most trafficked mammal in the world. And uh, so we've got the dogs, you know, to check those. And for Hong Kong, we work on the and the dogs that we provided to the Hong Kong government work on the boundaries between Hong Kong and China, okay. where thousands of people cross the border every day, and, and animal smuggling is um, is obviously illegal. And then again to Hong Kong, we uh, sent dogs to detect illegal meat. So to bring meat across the border is illegal, and the reason for that was. The, the the transportation of the illegal meat could spread the avian flu right. virus. Yeah. Uh, the dogs don't detect the virus; they just detect the meat that could, you know, help uh, transmit yeah. the, that virus. So yeah, um, so we've we've sent dogs um, to Hong Kong. Uh, we've done work with Singapore, and uh, we also provide the dogs for. For Irish customs, that's the Republic. So it's abroad, but not very far away. No. Yeah, yeah. It's far now with no planes going, though, for sure. Yeah. The um. So, so, yeah. so what interests me as well is the is the the name of your company as well because you talked about dogs sitting to signal certain things. But am I right in thinking that the wagging tail is the main one of the main signs you'd use? Well, the reason the company is called Wagtail is um, when I was in the RAF, uh, my my call sign. So if you, in Northern Ireland, it, it, it originated from security forces. If they need the assistance of on disposal, they would call for Felix. Yes. And if they needed the assistance of a explosive detection dog team, they would ask for Wagtail. Okay. So in the RAF, my uh, call sign was Wagtail, so uh, within 
police and military circles, you know, it's 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 a well-known call sign from, from Northern Ireland days. Uh, so to answer the question on the indication, yeah, we allow the dog to indicate uh, as much as possible in, in any way that it, it's comfortable with, and and as long as the handler can read that yeah. indication, that's fine. And we we do fine tune it because initially the dogs in training may become a little bit too keen and we don't want them touching the target scent so as explained about newts but obviously we don't want them touching if it's explosives because it could set something off uh with drugs it could be harmful if ingested by the dog same with explosives and and preservation of evidence and things like that so we work on a passive what we call a passive response so the dog may sit and stare uh, it may just stand and stare uh, it, it just, uh, and, and freeze. So once it's in the scent picture, uh, it will give an indication to the handler and the handler will know that is the signal, you know, there could be, could be a presence of the target scent. I mean, even when they freeze, depending on the dog, they could be absolutely solid, frozen solid, yeah. or you, the whole body will be frozen, but the tail of that could be wagging like mad. So it, it depends. They, 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 they can... Um, you know, have a waggy tail, but usually it's a passive response with a sit and a stare in anticipation because we've conditioned them during training in anticipation of receiving their ball or toy, their favourite toy. And the behaviour of the dog as well, I suppose you've got to train them to remain pretty calm throughout even afterwards because one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the actual handlers and how at risk they are because if you're shipping people drugs cash or something you shouldn't be and you think you're going to get caught out you might be a pretty desperate person to get away or to try and evade capture yeah i mean the very nature of the work we do you know where we could be upsetting people setting on people's toes if you like so we're careful with uh, the security of of our staff and you know uh, our vehicles so that's always a a consideration and we just have to be uh, very mindful uh, and, and very wary of that threat, and all our handlers are, are briefed to that effect. We probably forty percent of our staff are ex-military, yeah. you know, so they're they're used to things like that. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good point and, and something that we're we're mindful of uh, every day, obviously. What would be the average day of a dog handler then? Yeah, so they would, um, depending on the task that they're doing. The first thing is animal husbandry, so depending on the location, they would certainly exercise and uh, care for the dog. Depending on dog, may need uh, a morning feed, maybe not. They, uh, for the exercise of the dog, they would uh, clean the dog's kennel. And and then if it was um, an operational task, obviously prepare the vehicle with all the kit required and, and travel to that task maybe a briefing the clients or for example trading standards or the police for the, the tobacco search and then we as a company do it the, the military way so each handler will have two dogs so if we're to do a, a tobacco searches we would um, report for the briefing and then mainly shops mainly shops and self-store vehicles maybe some offices and, and the, the working day would probably go over about six hours. So the dog isn't working for six hours, like I said before, we've got two dogs anyway. So 
typically depending on weather conditions and the environment, a dog will work for about 20, 25 minutes, maybe half an hour, and then uh, he would need a break. You then get your second dog out, carry on for another half hour, by which time the dog's had a rest, first one's had a rest. So you can carry on for a couple of hours, really, before the, before the handler needs a break. Um, and, uh, you know, over what could be a six or a seven hour day. Then travel back to headquarters, exercise and, and, and see the dog again. And, you know, that, that would be sort of a, a typical scenario on a UK based operation. But having the two dogs is really good because, uh, let's say, it, it spreads the, the workload. And who knows, you may turn up at a task and the dog isn't well. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe lame. You've got you've got the backup dog. Uh, you you know that that can pick up pick up that and 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 it's good. Some people say that you know if you get an indication from a dog, and you're not quite sure. Uh, it could have it could have been an interest, but not a firm indication. You, you can get the second dog out and see what reaction you get from the second dog as well, just as confirmation. But I usually work on the theory. If the first dog indicates, then you know, go on that. But you've got the option of a second opinion. I like how they work in shifts as well. That's one of the things that always fascinated me because people say, especially when people are pricing things, they're like, well, how much can a, you know, dogs just having a mooch around, how much can it cost? Well, you've got to look at yeah. the fact that you've got to train them. It's like hiring a security professional, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it is, isn't it? All that training that's got into it. And the advantage of the dog is obviously uh, it's quicker, yeah. it's more effective, to be more accurate, you know, just talking about the, the newts or the bats or tobacco searches, you know, we'll go into shops, uh, uh, sort of uh, looking for illegal tobacco, and the dog will run around the shop. So, a team of officers, where do you start? You know, yeah. you've got all the, the rows of uh, food behind the counter, you've got the storeroom at the back, etc. So, at least when the dog goes in and it indicates. It was sort of saying, if you're going to start searching anywhere, search behind that panel. Yes, you know, saves a lot of time, lot of time and resources. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, some of the sophisticated hides that we come across with the tobacco, um, electronic hides that are false walls, false ceilings under the floorboards. Yeah. Uh, you know, the officers would admit they probably would never have found them without, um, without the assistance of a dog. So, so that's they're more mobile and obviously you can move from place to place as opposed to machines you know so yeah people do say you know they're an expensive commodity but it's all in context of what you want to achieve of course it is yeah so yeah. what are some of the more tell me about some of the finds you've had what what you can tell me what are some of the most bizarre finds or the most interesting finds you've come across yeah, so I can I can say uh, we've been working with trading standards since 2010. Yes. And uh, uh, with HMRC since 2012. And in the last four years alone, with different government agencies, we have found 120 million cigarettes. Wow. We've found 50 tonnes of tobacco, uh, the hand-rolling loose tobacco, and four million pounds in cash just in the last four years. And... The illegal tobacco trade is, is big business in the UK and, and a lot of other parts of the world because you've got genuine cigarettes, which are non-duty paid, so they're shipped in large numbers yeah. without paying tax. And then you've got counterfeit tobacco, which is um, 
horrible stuff that's imported from the Far East, say China. It has got some genuine tobacco in, so a 50 gram pouch. What else has it got? Of, of, yeah, so they've done tests and it's done. It's got rat droppings, asbestos, yeah. sawdust, all sorts. That's packed in, and, and obviously, normal cigarettes are not good for your health, but these are even worse. Yeah. So, um, smoke, but I believe it's about £10 for a pack of 20 cigarettes and about £18 for a 50-gram pouch of tobacco. And they're selling the cigarettes at 350 and the pouches at 5 or £6 pocket money prices. Uh, and people, people take that chance and people buy them. And it's ironic, the, the, the penalties for getting caught with illegal tobacco are a lot less yeah. than... They class A drugs. It's well, just it could a, be more dangerous, system. yeah. Because you, you, no, yeah. you always yeah. think about people say, well, you, all you got to do is look on Facebook and someone's selling fags from a Spain trip or something. And it's always like this, oh, you know, it's just the government tax collectors. Yeah. But there's a reason that yeah, regulation's there, isn't there? Yeah. Well, again, um, the HA, Revenue Customs estimates it's costing the UK taxpayer about one. Point eight billion pounds, you know, in tax avoidance yeah. with illegal cigarettes, and and then there's the other the the counterfeit uh, tobacco side. So so yeah, um, they're, they're selling it. They're still making a, a big profit, and again, funding gangs and organised crime and possibly uh, terrorism. And some of the unusual fines have been uh, behind. False walls, yeah. floorboards, electronic devices that are operated by a key fob. And right. I can show you some videos of that. Yeah. A dog will indicate on what appears to be just a blank wall. You find the key fob behind the counter, you press the button, and out pops this shelving, you know, full of, um, full of cigarettes, yeah, uh, or, or, or tobacco. So, yeah, some, uh, some really clever, sophisticated concealments that these criminals go to but as I say it's, it's big business I'm sure it is what, so what next what next for Whitetail well uh, we continue to um, to grow in fact even during these challenging times I mean we do provide exposure dogs for football football stadiums yeah. and events and um, uh, we provide courses training dog handlers to become uh, detecting dog handlers, you yeah. know, we're approved. We're approved by the MOD. Excuse me a second, Doug. Yeah, sorry. Right. Can, can I just pause you for one minute? Course, sorry. Yeah. I'm back on, mate. Sorry. That's sorry about right. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we provide courses, but that that has obviously been postponed. Um, we provide dogs at Premier League football grounds. That's been postponed. Yeah. Or that may open up again soon. Even with the matches being behind closed doors, they may want uh, some dogs. The conservation work has carried on, but a little bit limited because social distancing isn't a problem too much on a a wind farm. Uh, So that's okay. We've just been accredited by the Department of Transport and the Civil Aviation Authority for dogs to screen at airports for uh, cargo. All right. So cargo screening process at the moment, there's, there's different methods used to, to screen 
the cargo, but after a lengthy and very tough uh, testing process, we've now got a dog that is approved for screen cargo, and we've got another seven in the pipeline that we hope that will be accredited once um, you know restrictions are lifted. So, th- so that is a real game changer for us as well because the the freight forwarding industry, the cargo handling industry, um, are after uh, after a quicker method. Yeah, and sometimes items are too bulky or too dense to go through an X-ray machine, and that's where the dogs can come in. And, and, so there's and a need. Yeah, there's a real niche for it. So if somebody wanted to be, I, I heard you mention about recruiting. If someone mentioned to be a dog handler, um, how would they get in touch with you to recruit or to look at getting on your courses? Yeah, so our courses are on our website which is www.wagtailuk.com. Yeah. All the up-to-date courses are on there. This very week, we will be posting vacancies for up to eight dog handlers, preferably near to major UK airports. I'm not sure which ones yet, but it'll certainly be uh, Heathrow and London airports and uh, Manchester and anything in between, uh, and maybe over in Ireland as well. So, so... So we're, we're growing in that area, and, and we just continue to hopefully deliver our courses. We're approved by LCAS, yeah. as you know, the MOD uh, scheme for service leavers, and, and um, continue to develop our dogs at stadiums and major events. There is a new accreditation coming out for explosive detection dog handlers. We hope soon oh, right, we're right. part of a yeah we're part of a small working group. The Home Office, CPNI, police, in a scheme called NACTAF, which is the National Canine Training Accreditation Scheme. And in a nutshell, what that is, is a, it's accreditation that all police dog handlers will comply with. And the, once all police dog handlers have reached that accreditation, because they currently work to an ACPO yes, uh, standard, and, and, and they've just revamped it and, and renamed it as we will be called NACTAS. As soon as that, that has been completed by the police, then hopefully well, we know that private companies will be invited, invited to join that. And that's really good for us because it keeps, you know, the, the, the providers of explosive detection dog teams then got to be of the same standard as the police. And, and that's a reassurance for, for the client. Our aim is to provide safety, assurance, and security in an uncertain world. Look, I remember your slogan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So, what you got on for the rest of the day, Colin? Colin, it's been great speaking to you. I've really, I've, I've really learned loads about that. I mean, I knew a bit about your company, but some of the finds you've got is great. So, anything else today? Uh, no, I'm just carrying on now with um, a, a couple of tender opportunities and some marketing and working from home. All our staff are fastest key workers, you know, because yeah, of the, of the work we do through the home office and the support. So, um, but I, I, yeah, uh, so we've still got plenty of, um, of of people working at the office and obviously the, the, the kennel staff do a fantastic job, yeah. you know, keeping uh, the dogs fit and healthy and, and, and looked after for us. So, yeah, that, that, that's my day, just uh, working from home, really, and a couple of Zoom conferences later. With clients, but yeah, I've actually quite enjoyed working from home. 
good. Uh, yeah, well, nice, you're, like, you're probably like me, mate. You're probably on the road all the time, and you've finally got a chance to ground yourself and get some of the stuff you needed to do done, if you're anything like me. Yeah, amazing the amount of jobs that you can get done in between, uh, you know, especially at the weekends. So, but yeah, hopefully, though, we'll be, you know, restrictions, um, safety permitting the restrictions will, will lift over the coming weeks and months, and uh, we can get back to normal. I'm sure it will. I'll pop up and see you. Colin, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Doug. Thanks very much for asking, and um, you know, good luck to yourself. And uh, ho- hopefully, we'll we'll speak soon. You're always welcome to come and see us whenever you get the chance. Appreciate it. Thanks, Colin. Bye, mate.